to TSCRA Talk, a podcast by Texas and Southwestern Cattle Raisers Association. I'm your host, Kristen Brown. Joining me today is Casey Mabry to discuss risk management. Casey's career in the industry started as a cattle buyer in Western Nebraska and Wyoming for six years. Casey then moved to Wichita, Kansas, where he worked in boxed beef pricing with a focus on understanding out front prices and position optimization. Casey then took to cattle procurement as a strategic supply manager, where he focused on cattle formula and grid marketing arrangements, working with Cargill's largest suppliers. Today, he is a partner in Blue Reef Agri-Marketing. Casey, welcome to TSCRE Talk. We're glad to have you with us today. Awesome. We're excited to be a part of this and glad that we could uh, get on the phone with you. Yeah. Now, to kick us off, give us a basic definition of risk management. So risk management, a lot of people focus on just pure price risk, and that's kind of where our focus is. We talk to most risk managers, and their focus is around downside market risk in both feeder cattle and live cattle or any commodity, to be honest with you. And so what we try to define risk as is equity preservation and equity growth. So we look at a market, and we know that markets both go, both go up and down. So we try to understand the market, understand the risk tolerance around the certain producers' equity position, and then understand the market bias and the fundamentals and where we're at, and then try to manage a position of the cattle to what, what our bias is and allowing for, we know that long-term commodity prices go up. So always managing to the downside is not the right thing to do because you're missing out on, on equity growth. And so the true definition in our mind is uh, of risk is both equity to the upside and equity to the downside and trying to grow that for multiple generations. That's helpful to understand. When it comes to risk management, what are areas that cattlemen need to consider and be looking at? And, and you've touched on that, but let's go a little bit deeper into it. Yeah, so I think that most cattlemen, it depends on size. And so our feedlot customers that we work with have a different set of risk that we look at. Those feedlot producers are ones that I would call a a spread margin business. And so they buy an animal. They have a lot of money embedded into the feeder cattle price. We need to originate corn and build corn price around that and feed that animal and then get to a break even. And so the risk in that is owning an animal with a, you know, a one, call it 25 break even, and then trying to protect that break even. And so we look and it, in this mar in this business, the margins are so thin. A lot of times people are trying to protect, you know, a $20 ahead profit. And a lot of times they take the approach of not losing money, but then they lose the focus around making money. And so I think from a feedlot standpoint, the risk in that is, like I said before, preserving equity, allowing for equity growth. And so we work with feedlot clients around with, uh, you know, if we believe that the market's got some upside potential to it, we use some option strategies. And so I know that the options and when we start talking about puts and calls are extremely scary to some people because they are not well versed on it. Most of the ranchers are feedlot clients out there and they spend the bulk of their time working with the cattle or working with their hands and working outside and focusing on managing their operations and being very good and managing that, that operation. They finish or they spend a lot less focusing on the markets, or, you know, call it 5% of the time. And that doesn't even touch base on the different strategies at which you can do that. So that's the feedlot side of it. On the ranching side of it, you know, that's a different beast in itself. And so we have, that's a production-based business. That's an asset-based business that 
um, we're trying to return the most dollars back to the ranch that we can. And so historically speaking, you know, our 750,000 producers out there that raise calves, the bulk of them just wait for price. And so they, you know, breed the cows, cows have calves, they wean in the fall, ship the calves or ship them whenever the, the grass gets dry. So there's a lot of risk around not only price, but production value, production cost. And I think that if you sit down with producers and allow and talk about those different things that I think you start to expose a lot more risk to their business, whether it's, you know, people risk, price risk on livestock, black swan events like, you know, fires and plants and different things like that, COVID for downside pressure. But then as you look forward here, the next risk that you got to look for is managing our inventory and keeping our inventory in place. And I think that's quite honestly what we spend the bulk of our time working on is with clients is managing the emotional side of this business. We know that we don't make money every year. We know that there's years that we lose money. And then on the backside of losing money, typically that's upside gain on cattle. And so if we get fearful or we get panicky or we get scared and then we sell our cows, we get rid of the factory or we lose our inventory on calves. In a feedlot scenario, you can rebuy and get back in. On a cow-calf side, it takes years to rebuild back that inventory. And so we work with producers to try to understand that part of it. And that's where I go back and talk about equity preservation and equity growth. And there's some things out there. Like I said, the USDA has come out with uh, livestock risk protection insurance. They're subsidized and there's a lot of different programs out there that should help those producers protect downside risk, but then it doesn't limit you from upside growth if the market wants to appreciate long-term. Well, and it sounds like what you're saying is there's so much value in being proactive instead of reactive, to invest the time, to have the conversations, to think through these things, and that's going to save you in the long run. Absolutely. And so I think the biggest thing that we try to drive home is building a plan and then working through that plan. And we work directly with these producers one-on-one at their operation and try to understand, again, you know, what risk tolerance do they have? What's their operation look like? What things or what variables are there that set them apart or differentiate them? Because we all know that everybody's operation is different. So we don't try to have a real cookie cutter approach to everything. And so sitting down with a producer, working with a producer and saying, you know, what's your goals? What do you want to do? If you're a younger person, you need to have upside potential. If you're an older person, you're probably trying to preserve equity and not you, you can't handle some of the downs that we have in the cattle business. This cattle business is very old and we all think that these things are new. But if you go back and look in history, it's a very cyclical business that occurs, you know, it's repeated itself multiple times. Maybe different stories and different narratives. But we know that price goes down for a period of time and then price comes exaggerated a lot higher. And so, like I said, the biggest part of that is being proactive by building a plan, being proactive to trading to that plan and executing on the plan that you set forth, not getting greedy when the market goes up, not getting scared when the market goes down or panicky, but being setting a plan, setting a very defined plan and then executing towards that plan or trading that plan. Well, and it sounds like looking at risk management, having a risk management plan, having people to visit with, utilizing some of these tools, it helps you pivot when things change, whether it be be the weather and weather related, 
or like you said, a black swan event, something you're not prepared for, or I shouldn't say not prepared for, but something that comes along that is unexpected and, and out of your control, you can pivot. You can you do it based on facts, not emotions. Absolutely. And I think the most versatile person in my mind is someone in agriculture, specifically a, a producer or a grower, whether you're a corn farmer in the in the corn belt and you get hit by the derecho like they had last last year, you get hit by real bad planting conditions like we did two years ago, or you're sitting here and worried about drought. I mean, I think a producer is a very versatile person. You know, our cow-calf guys, they've had multiple things over the last few years that, that have been hard, hard to deal with. And so they've, they've made it through and they've survived. And a lot of times it's just faith in this business, right? So I think when you look at a commodity market like we're in, there's winners and losers. There's always has been and there always will be. The cost of production typically meets what the production costs are. And so the business is kind of a break even to business. It's whenever you can manage both sides of it and not selling when the market's down and scary and, you know, looking at the bright side of it or, or whenever the market gets really high and not trying to get euphoric or, or greedy when the market gets high, you know, offsetting risk. I think the biggest thing is a lot of times, like I said, as, as a producer, sometimes we get, we get sidetracked and we're, and I'm talking specifically around the smaller cow-calf guys. We can all fall victim of it, even to the feedlot sector, but not getting angry, not listening to the the quote unquote rhetoric that's out there or the, some of the stuff that you'll find in the media, you know, a lot of the things out there that can be distracting and, and things that make us pessimistic and fearful and sell when the thing's bad. Or like I said, a lot of it's managing fear, hope, greed, and panic, those four emotions in a market. And a lot of times the risk is within ourselves. And I'm not trying to get extremely deep here, but it's, the risk is we have a target in our mind of 128 live cattle, the market gets up to 128, the risk is not executing on that plan that was set forth. And then the market goes down and then getting scared and panicking, sell the market at 118. That's the risk. And then the market bouncing back and then having to try to replenish that inventory at a higher price. That's the risk. Casey, I'm going to ask a really basic, simple question, but just breaking it down even more, tell us specifically what risk management tools are out there and available. The risk management tools that we have available to us today are, you know, when we're talking about managing downside price risk, are exchange-traded futures and options through the Chicago Mercantile Exchange. So that's both the live cattle contract and the feeder cattle contract, as well as managing your corn price or feed costs through a CME, live exchange-traded futures and options corn contract. So when we're talking about larger producers, those are the tools that we utilize. Those tools require a brokerage account through a brokerage company like StoneX is who we utilize, RJO, different what they call FCMs. So those are more complex. Those are more, you have to manage margin requirements to those. That's a little bit of the cons. However, the pros of that are the flexibility of it, the ease of use, the timing, the execution, all that stuff is very, very uh, quick. Those accounts are a little bit harder to manage because you have to have some working capital tied up in it uh, for margin call requirements if you were to uh, hedge cattle and the market go up, okay? So those are futures and options through the Chicago Mercantile Exchange. The next tool that we utilize is livestock risk protection insurance that's offered through and underwritten by the USDA and this risk, and it's through the federal crop insurance program. And what these programs are is, it, is it a, a risk protection insurance policy that can be written 
for a period of time and a specific set of animals that protects us with downside risk. The other thing that's amazing about this program is you can ride it on fed cattle, stalker cattle, cow calf, and even unborn calves. So you get in a situation where if you're a normal or just an average producer, like I said, there's 750,000 of them in the U.S., not every one of them fit a futures and options contract. And so when prices get high, they cannot easily execute and take advantage of the high prices. Typically, the market goes up, goes down, goes up, goes down. And then the timing of it is so important to those producers that just wait on price that it inhibits them or it's not, they can't take advantage of prices that go high. For example, you're a cow-calf guy. The calves were born here in March. We're not going to wean and sell until October. Feeder cattle are at a, at a kind of a five-year high right now, currently as we speak. You would like to take on, on this price because you like it, but you can't do so because you have to wait until you get there. And you're just hoping that the market stays together. Hope is not a good risk management plan you have the ability to execute on that through a livestock risk protection insurance policy. And it's very easy to do it. it the, the margin requirements are way less. It, you don't have to pay the insurance premium until after the cattle are sold or until the expiration of that contract. And there's no margin calls required with it. So like I said, the tools that we have today for our producers are for our more, I'd say larger, or even just people that are, have a stomach for the futures and options market. Like I said, there's pros to that. It's quick. It's easy to execute. The cons are, uh, margin call requirements, and that would be futures and options, puts and calls and short futures in live cattle and feeder cattle. And then the other program that fits the whole gamut is the LRP, Livestock Risk Protection Insurance Policies, that are written and underwritten by the, United, the USDA. I mean, those policies protect the downside, but if the market were to continue to go up, you don't have any upside caps. The market, the sky's the limit on the cattle. So it just protects the downside of it. So downside risk protection insurance. Very good information that I think our listeners will definitely be glad to know about. Our time is, is coming to an end, but is there anything else that you would like producers to know about risk management, things to consider, anything we haven't talked about yet? No, I think that, the, like I said earlier, the, the producer is a very resilient individual and a very versatile individual or team or family. I think that when it comes to risk, I think you don't necessarily have to look at just downside risk. You got to look at both. Upside risk can just be as important as downside risk. And what my point about that is, is, is not getting fearful and getting scared and selling all of your inventory whenever the market goes down like we had in COVID last year and realizing even though we can have some of the worst black swan events out there, the sun shines the next day and the rains come and we get grass and we can produce cattle again. We can go through like extremely treacherous and fearful times, but keeping our optimism and keeping our inventory and keeping our, our attitudes in the right place, not listening to extreme rhetoric out there and, and things that can kind of get us scared and make us uh, jump off the horse, if you will. Staying along, this business has been around for a lot of years. It's going to be here for a lot of years. There's always going to be these burdens and hurdles and icebergs, if you will, that um, that get us scared. But just having someone to talk to about all this stuff is probably the most important. So keeping our emotions in check is probably the biggest risk out there that we have. Well, great. Casey, thank you so much for your time today and, and sharing your wisdom and knowledge with us. You bet. Anytime. Joining us now is Caleb McLaurin out of the TSCRA Austin office. Caleb, welcome to TSCRA Talk. Thank you for having me. Now, the 87th Texas Legislative Session has come to an end. How are y'all feeling at this point? 
I would say it was a long, tough, tedious session. But I think we're glad to see the session adjourn, sine die. And we're also happy to see that we've got quite a few pieces of good legislation that passed this session. Not anything of any great detriment to, to cattle producers and landowners. There were some bad bills and bad amendments, especially late in the session that we're, we were able to fend off. And so I think in, in total, anytime the legislature comes to town and doesn't do harm, that is a good thing. So that's something to be happy with. But additionally, our team, with the support of all of our TSRA members, we're able to get some good pieces of the legislation passed this session. So I would say uh, we're, we're feeling pretty good with how things went. Great. Are there any that you want to highlight specifically, bring some attention to for our listeners? Sure. You know, there is a total of over 7,385 bills filed and, and TSRA was actively engaged on 798 of those pieces of legislation. But there were a couple of them, uh, four or five that we, you can say, brought to the legislation, the legislature, something that we concepts, language that we worked and brought to members and, and worked closely with them in order to get those passed. And so we had a lot of success there. One of those is actually eminent domain bill. And so that's something that I know your listeners have probably heard us speak about a lot before. We did get an eminent domain reform bill passed this session. I am sorry to say that I don't know that we advanced the ball down the field very far. We have a lot of political things going on in Texas and, and some political obstacles that just proved to be too great for rural Texas to overcome, unfortunately. But we were still able to get a bill passed, which I think was a big political win. We've qualified it as somewhat of a net zero bill because I think if a pipeline company or a, a transmission line company comes to your property, you're, it's largely going to be the, the protocols and procedures that you see today. However, you do have some minimum easement terms that are placed in statute thanks to the passage of this bill. And those entities say they will give those to landowners. And so now there's a, a higher chance of you getting those voluntarily. And if they do not give those to you and condemn you on something less than that, that will provide the ammunition we need to go back and require those in a future session. Well, that's helpful to know and, and definitely a topic that's top of mind for a lot of people. Now, what's next? There are some special sessions that are coming up this year too, right? Absolutely. We are immediately post the governor's deadline to take action on bills that filed during the regular legislative session, which is constitutionally required to be 140 days in the spring of every odd-numbered year. However, now the governor has opportunity to call a special session, which each special session is 30 days in length and is subject to the call of the governor. So he gets to determine what items the legislature can debate and pass bills on. And so right now, though we don't know, we have been working with the governor's office a lot here recently. I'm actually partnered with him on a big event in Del Rio related to border security a week or so ago. And so we anticipate there being two special sessions, ones perhaps in, in July, more of the summer months, and then and one a little bit later, getting closer to the fall, perhaps September. The first of which we anticipate will be them cleaning up some winter storm Murray legislation that didn't get all the way through the process and some different things like that, uh, perhaps elections. There's a lot of rumors of what all might be on that call. And then we do know that we'll have to have a special, like I said, probably closer to September that will do redistricting. 
And so we're in a redistricting year, which occurs after the census every 10 years where we redraw the political landscape and what Texas looks like. And so we'll certainly be attuned to that whenever they're redrawing those lines as Texas becomes increasingly urban and has a profound effect on our Texas politics. Well, it sounds like y'all still have your plates full for the year then, in addition to all the other things that y'all take care of out of the Austin office. So I would encourage our listeners to learn more and to stay up to date on the happenings out of the Austin office to be sure that they are getting the daily news update from TSCRA that is a member benefit and check out the view from Austin. Caleb, thanks for joining us today. We appreciate all your insight. Again, thank y'all so much for having me. To learn more about TSCRA, visit tscra.org.